After I shower now, I spend a long time standing naked in front of the mirror while I do my makeup and brush my hair, just going slow. Like any American girl, I learned early on that I should want my body to be something other than it was. Not unfamiliar to most people, I spent years labeling it with symbols like L and 14, and later XL and 16. I won't go into the details about what I wanted my body to be because whatever you are imagining is probably correct. Skinnier, prettier, smarter. Doubtless, we each know the story so well from the view inside our own skin. In the last few years, my body's needing and wanting to take a different form diminished, and friendship between my spirit and body has replaced that gnawing desire to be something else. When I started following body-positive women on social media, I resisted what they said was beautiful. My eyes had been trained for so long to acknowledge a single standard that it took time to really believe the women who put up pictures of themselves in swimming suits with folds in their skin, bellies that were not taut and thighs that had no gap. It all took time to receive because though I looked like these women, I had never called what I looked like beautiful. When I used words like beautiful to describe my own body, I almost felt that I was stealing something that wasn't mine. It took time and courage it took a realignment of everything that I'd learned wasn't supposed to be mine. Over time, I came to love my body, though. Not just to say that I loved it, but to really love it and to know it like a dear friend. Now, I stand in front of the mirror, my stomach not flat, the wideness of my grandmother's hips written in my frame, my thighs with the muscles of my days playing soccer still barely visible, my breasts round like the two moons orbiting Jupiter. There are curves, like a pencil line, that I want to draw. It is all delicious to see, to know that she, this body, is mine. And perhaps, not so long down the road, this body will be the only one that I can confide in and know will understand me completely. The excerpt that you just heard is from A New Constellation, the newest memoir by author Ashley May Hoyland. In December of 2018, just this past December, she went in for an eye appointment and by the end of the day had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. This conversation, we allude a little to that diagnosis, but um, more than that, we talk about our relationships with our bodies these these vessels that are our constant companions throughout our experience in life and i'm so excited to share this conversation with you first let me just say a couple of things about ashley for those of you who do not know her ash may hoyland has a bfa in studio arts and an mfa in creative writing she has written and illustrated several children's books, did the We Brave Women project through Kickstarter, and my gosh, if you haven't seen that project, I will be sure to link to it in the show notes from today's episode. Um, it was basically a set of 60 cards with these beautiful painted portraits of women throughout history, some well-known, some lesser so, but what an inspiring and powerful project it was. She has written two memoirs at this point. I know there will be more to come. One is called A Hundred Birds Taught Me to Fly, which was a finalist for a national award. And her newest book, as I mentioned, A New Constellation, which you will hear another reading from um, throughout the course of this episode, 
number 20 of the Show Up podcast, Body Love. Ashley also teaches writing classes at mindtotell.com, which she describes as a dream fulfilled. And we will make sure to link to those writing courses in the show notes from this episode as well. She currently lives in Santa Cruz with her three children and her husband. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I am delighted to be here. Um, Ashley is my husband's cousin and my cousin because of, yes. through marriage, but I feel like I have adopted Ashley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always and, people were cousins. <laughs> yeah. Any, any, yeah, me too. Anytime anybody asks, I'm like, we're cousins. And they'll be like, oh, and they, you know, they want to ask for information. I'm like, just accept that we're cousins and move <laughs> along with your life. Like, <laughs> Ashley belongs to me. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Yes. So, you know, we're talking here on this episode about bodies yes. and about our relationship with <laughs> these vehicles that house this sacred part of who we are. Um, and yet, we often treat them with so much disdain and even loathing. And um, it's obviously unfortunate and it's obviously a tide that we're all just kind of linking hand in hand. I like the the imagery of all of us as women linking hand in hand and standing in front of that like great wave and just willing it to go the other way, mm-hmm. that we're just done. And you and I have talked far before this MS diagnosis. And, and I would, in fact, go so far as to say even just over the last two or three years even mm-hmm. about um, this sort of revolution that we're seeing and how it's affecting our own lives and our desire to be a voice within that revolution um, of, of real body love. And not I don't want to just say like acceptance or but I actually mean like deep abiding love mm-hmm. and I'm curious to hear, because you were well along that path before the diagnosis, how did the diagnosis shift things even further as it related to your relationship with your physical body? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say at the time that I got the diagnosis, so really only four months ago, five months ago, um, I had really come to a point where like, self-loathing and disdain for my body was no longer a part of my life. And it wasn't even that I was like consciously fighting against it. It was like the tide finally had turned and I felt like a really intense, uh, I guess love would be the correct word for my body. Like in a way that I feel like an intense love for a friend or somebody that I would want to defend. So this is actually a quote that I pulled um, actually from your book, A New Constellation. Change happened in the flick of an instant and pierced the part of me that truly believed I was impervious to hardship. The hole it left did not seal itself back up, but rather made apparent and very real the impermanence of all things. Now, it's interesting because you're talking here about this diagnosis and about, you know, finding out that you have MS and how no longer do you see yourself as impervious to hardship and how that change could just happen in the flick of an instant. And as I read it, what came to my mind was also the way that the change as in relationship to our love versus self-loathing of ourself can also happen in the flick of an instant. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, 
like we, I really think that there was a period in my own life where I believed it was impossible to love my body as it was. Hmm. Like I truly believed that it needed to be different, that it was not worthy of my love, that it was something that if I had, if I was stronger and braver or had more willpower, um, that I could somehow make it lovable, Hmm. that it was inherently flawed and needed to be changed. And once it was changed, it would be deserving of my love. Yeah. But then if you take that a step further, that means I needed to change because if I was unable to do this thing to my body that needed to be done, then inherently on some level, I was flawed as well. And I did not believe that that was something that could shift, that that paradigm could shift, that I believed it had to be a physical shift in the physical world where the body changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think so it's, it's interesting the ways in which those things change. Like I think when you talk about like in a flick of an instant, um, I think about all the time, it was probably four years ago, five years ago, um, where I went into a women's locker room at the YMCA and decided to, well, I was not brave enough yet to do it. Um, but I looked around me and there were like a dozen naked women just cruising around and it blew my mind because I realized the only naked bodies I'd seen of women were mostly in like really glossy pages of magazines or like my perception of what other people's bodies were, were that they were all better than mine. Um, and looking around in that, like, I, I will never be the same after that. I think that um, there's a connection between tears and truth. And I'm curious what the truth is that is bringing you to tears. <laughs> now I'm just like in my living room by myself crying. <laughs> it is the sense of like just the, the, the body as friend. I guess it's such a, a unique and different concept than I had ever um, like materialized in any way in my own head that this idea um, that the body is not something to be fought against, but the body is something to settle into. And to, that is like, it's going to literally have your back <laughs> all the time. Like, <laughs> um, I love that. And it, it's just, it, it's like this beautiful intricate vessel that is carrying like ancestral lines that is carrying future things um that is like so capable of of understanding the world in a way that is beyond um like just an an intellectual understanding you know we were in europe all last summer and one of the highlights of that experience is visiting so many places that have just existed for centuries. Um, I used to do a lot of work on the East Coast of the United States when I was a photographer. And I remember going in, especially like in the Boston area, um, going into certain buildings and just thinking, oh my gosh, this has been here since like, you know, the 17, late 1700s. Um, and just being so amazed that that building had existed for so long and that the history of it was so connected to the history of our nation. And it just seemed so amazing. But then when you go to Europe uh, yes. <laughs> and you're looking at things that have been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years beyond when the United States was even like a flicker of a thought in anyone's mind that there could even be anything out across this great ocean and 
as you stand on if you stand in one of these spaces, there's just this thought of the history there and the connection. And it feels almost otherworldly. You're standing in this great ancient space. And I love what you said about ancestral lines being within us in either direction. I always tell my kids that that they're made of magic. And I really, like when I think about what's present in my DNA, in my actual physical body, the the existence of it, it is magical. Yeah. I mean, what other de- definition of ma- do we have of magic? It's something that can reach that far into the past and all the way into the future. I mean, that is phenomenal to think about. Yeah, and I think about, um, so my mom's mom passed away when my mom was really young, um, and she hasn't talked, a, like none of her siblings have talked very much about her, I think just because it was so painful. Um, but one thing that I always heard was, oh, like even as a teenager, which was horrifying, um, is, oh, Ashley, you have her breasts. And I thought like, what could that mean? Like that is, and then I'd like try and look at pictures and like angle and see. And the only thing I could tell is like, well, they were pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it used to just be like this point of kind of embarrassment to me in some way, because nobody wants to have big boobs as a teenager, but I did. And I do still. And it's, and it's turned into this really nice way of connecting with not only my mom and her sister, but with this grandma that I never met. And by the same token, I guess I'm doubly blessed because you know, my, our, my grandma Pat, um, and I have definitely inherited her like big bum and her wide hips <laughs> and it, and it of course that could be like like oh dang it I wish I didn't have those um but the older I get I think like no I love um just that reminder that like as as a kid like I think there was there was definitely no part of me that wished like oh if if only my grandma were skinnier these are the things that to be articulated aloud are just not the things that um yeah. we give ourselves permission to articulate very often or like even give the space to do um because i think sometimes like body conversations yeah. get so um myopic in the sense that it's it becomes all about me and how I'm going to do this, how my body's going to do this. And I think sometimes stepping out and seeing that this is a much larger thing than just me feeling good in a swimsuit. Yeah. It's a useful place for me to to go to think about my relationship to my body. I love that. And I love that thought that it's a shared journey. And I think that one of the other the other challenges that we face as it relates to discussing these things openly is they're so riddled with shame. Um, and I don't think that's what's happening in this instance with you. I just think it's something to point out to listeners that one of the reasons that we don't talk about the self-loathing and the the pain and the the struggle that so many of us have faced surrounding this relationship with our physical self is because it's because we can't if we talk about it in front of other people, we really do feel as though we're alone in it and what will they think and how would that be received? But as soon as it's spoken, we find something very different. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, I think we, we talked about having this conversation beforehand. I took notes. I thought I had it totally under control, but even in talking about it in the moment, it is, it's a different thing than what I had anticipated. Yeah. And I think in part, it, it just is so nice to, to be able to have open, honest conversations. Because while I said before that I had come to a place where I didn't loathe and disdain my body, it does not um, mean that I am without like body image things still. Like I've still definitely like cried in a dressing room when I can't get my damn pants on. Like it's, it's, so it's not something that I am totally free from, but I feel like I have uh, it's kind of been a superpower that I have developed over the years. Yeah. Where did you start? Like for people out there who are listening and who are like, I want so desperately to start making positive steps and to move in the direction of self-love. Where where did you begin? I think, well, one, I was really, really lucky to um, have a group of friends in college who were good at loving their bodies. And the language was new to me. Um, Kind of the concept and the actions felt different to me. And this one friend in particular, Sarah Rains, who is a midwife, um, she does not accept negative body talk, like about her own, about if you say something about yours, like she's very gentle about it, but she will say, "We, we actually don't talk that way about our bodies. And so I think that that was the beginning for me, of being surrounded by women who are willing to witness my body, their bodies, other women's bodies, and who were pretty insistent on using language that uplifted us. Um, and again, we were not perfect about it, but it was it was pretty deliberate decisions to not talk about diet, like going on diets or what we wish we were. Um, and then I think it really for me, it was a pretty changing moment when I did that project I did where I sent out a thing on my Instagram and I just asked people to send in images of themselves along with either a title or words that they had given their body or that other people had been, had given their body. Um, and then I did a little painting of them with that word above it. Um, and I started with my own, which the words that I had been handed down or had and had like really invested in these words were curvy, big boned, like extra large. And I got in lots and lots of response to this. And it was so eye opening to me to understand um, because from my own perspective, I figured like, oh, only women who have like bigger bodies feel this way. And a lot, like half of the the photographs that I got were from these women who had the bodies that I thought I wanted. And they also had words that had been handed to them that were really harmful and not useful. And, and men sent in images too. And I thought I would never have guessed that like this good looking man has, is like carrying around these titles about his body. And for me, that was a pretty pivotal moment in recognizing that it's not just about me and that I can also like do the work of shedding and replacing the language that I use to speak about and with and for my body. That project you did, it really made me think. It was just so beautiful because words that I would have taken as a compliment 
like that I would have felt like, oh, wonderful. Like if someone called me, let's say skinny, I would have been like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I just remember sitting on someone's lap once and someone saying like, oh, you have the boniest butt. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I think that's like the best thing anyone's ever said to me because that meant that I wasn't the F word. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very particular about this in my own home is the use of the F word, the use of anything being considered good or bad. Like how often have you walked into a room and heard a woman say, oh, I've been so bad. And then explain like eating, I don't know, a donut or something. And I'm like, yeah, that is so bad. Oh my gosh. But like, it's like absurd. Like how are we bad for eating a donut? Bad is like kicking a puppy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think we can all agree that kicking a puppy is probably bad, but like eating a donut are you kidding me? You are like a brilliant, intelligent, kind, loving woman who works tirelessly day in and day out for the betterment of her family, of the people that she loves, of people in her community, in her church organization. And you're labeling yourself as bad because of a food that you ate? Yeah. Like that, it, it's nonsensical when you actually start to unload it. And that's what I found in that journey was how much of it was actually nonsensical the word that I sent to you when you were doing that project was athletic. And it seems like that's a total compliment, right? But in my mind, I was a dancer and everyone around me had a very specific body type. When people said, oh, you're athletic, it was like a nice way of saying that I was chubby. But then even the word chubby, why is that bad? Why is that a problem? Why do we why do we take such offense to that? And what we have to realize is all of these things, all of these reactions that we have are constructs. In and of itself, being called chubby is is nothing. The word chubby is not bad. It's the context. It's the 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 cultural significance that we have placed on these words. We have to remember that that everything we're seeing is being distorted by things that have been handed to us. Yeah. Well, it, it makes me think of. I had this really interesting experience with my kids, Remy and Thea, who are at the time were respectively seven and five. Um, and one day Remy came home and he said, mom, there is this girl in my class who would love you. And I was super flattered. And I said, Remy, why, why do you think she would love me? And he said, she just loves fluffy things and really big bums. (laughs) And I, I like took a moment and he said, Oh, that's nice. And then I walked over and I was doing something and I could hear them whispering behind me. And they were saying, like, she has a fat bum. And Remy was saying, like, we don't say that, Thea. And Thea was like, well, it's true. (laughs) And and I turned around and I said, I said, do you know that I love my fat bum? I love it. And they and they seemed kind of shocked. And and I said, do you like it? And they said, yeah, we do. (laughs) And after that moment, they for months, they continued to test me. And they continue to say things about my body. And I knew they were doing it to see my reaction and how I would respond. Because even at those young ages, like they were aware of things that they should and shouldn't say um, according to cultural norm. And like there were just so many things like that where I'd see them like saving a spot for me on the couch. And I'm not even like, I'm just, I'm average as can be. But they would save spots for me on the couch and be saving these huge, like parts of the couch, and they and they would be whispering about it. And every time I would have to respond, like, "Yeah, that's great. 
Like, I love that you saved that space for me because my body takes up that space. And it was surprising to me that every time I could respond to them, that I was okay with myself, um, even when I did not feel confident, like even posing that I did, um, it was interesting to me to see the ways in which that calmed them down. And now a year and a half later, um, Dia's a pretty confident lady. Oh, she is a firecracker. What kinds of things do you think your body wants to hear you say to it? Uh, I love you. Yeah. And would you ever say thank you to your body? Thanks for telling me that I needed to go party today. That's a good one. And what else could, we, could you tell I your body? I love you. You are my best friend. You are my friend and I love you. I wish I had you forever. But you do have it forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the same things that I say to all my body. Same, all the same. What if my body was really fat and big? I would say... Would you still say the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Would it still be a really good body? Yes. Yeah, be an awesome body. Yes, can you try to find this? <gasps> it's windy enough. I don't know what it is. See those trees moving? I do see that. It means it's windy. Yeah. Let's go try it. Okay. Okay, let's finish with, tell me three things that your body did today that were awesome? Uh, ask Dad if he wanted to do these fun things with me. Mm-hmm. What and, did you do? And Dad said yes. And what the amazing thing is, Dad and me read together, we drew a picture, we did math. Mm, that is amazing. Those are three things. And what did your, what did your body do at the gym? Uh, jump and going to jumpy hills and jump again. And what did your body do at the beach yesterday? I swam. Even though the water was freezing? It wasn't freezing. I think it was. Okay, and then I, I just want you to end. I want you to say three things that you think my body did good today. Uh, Re- th- three really cool things uh, my body did. Do a painting. Uh, do something on your computer. Do you know what I did while uh, you were at the gym? What? I did a yoga class. And do a yoga class. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Yes, now can you try and find this out? Yep. Come on, let's go. No matter what, it's not just a matter of um, stopping certain words from being said, like me saying earlier, like I just don't go with that. And I, you know, different things like that, but actively replacing the dialogue with the positive dialogue and how necessary that is because no matter how vigilant we are to remove these things from our own home, they're still exposed to a lot outside of our own home. They're being affected by cultural norms and all kinds of things. And so we have to actively counteract, right? And and really be vigilant. And I'm wondering what that looks like in your home and in your own space. Yeah. Um, I think one thing, and this is, this will not be surprising to anyone because I think we've all done this. Um, but I, 
am surprised in the ways in which um, social media has played out in all of this for me. Um, I had never seen like a woman who was a size extra, extra large in a swimsuit. Like I, I had seen so few photographs of that, that I did not have reference points for me to be able to say that is beautiful. And it was surprising to me the ways in which I was really resistant to that for a long time, that it was, it took time to kind of retrain my brain and re-understand what had been there all along, but had culturally been um, so ingrained. Yeah. So it, the work to say like, oh, that woman has like folds in her belly and that is beautiful. Um, I feel like I can say that confidently and honestly now, but that was not a thing I could say for a while. And so I think in our home, um, really actively, like I actually walk around naked in front of my kids all the time because I think it's important for them to know that this is what a body looks like. Um, I have all kinds of feelings about that, especially after spending the summer in Europe last year. And, you know, we knew that we were going to see all kinds of naked bodies at the beach. Like we just knew it because very European thing to not have a top. And a lot of people were like, well, what are you going to do with your boys? Or as I was posting on social media, like, how do you talk to your boys about, you know, European beaches? And um, it was interesting because I actually didn't really have to. Like, I mean, obviously I told them in advance, like, you're going to see a lot of boobs. Mm -hmm. Like, are we okay with that? Like, you've got them, I've got them, mine are bigger, but Mm -hmm. like, we've all got them. It's like a normal thing. Great human equalizer. Everybody's got a boob. Yeah. Um, of some kind. And that was like really the totality of it. And after (laughs) the trip like had been underway for quite a while, um, one of the boys, and we were just like on our way back from the beach and he said, you know, boobs are just boobs. (laughs) And I was like, yes, sir, they are. (laughs) And it was such an interesting thing for that child at such a young age to suddenly realize like, what's all the hype about? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what's the big deal here? And also another thing that they noticed when we were in Europe was, particularly in France, there were ads, beauty ads for beauty products featuring a much more broad array of ages. So it wasn't just like all these young models that are 20 something. Like there were like lipstick ads that featured 60 year old women and it was just fascinating to me that they noticed that, that I didn't even notice that. But they're like, you know, in the U.S., I feel like we don't see as many ads with more mature women. I think they probably use the word older, yeah. <laughs> but I'll substitute it for mature. Yeah. Um, and that's just fascinating to me that if we give them the right framework through which to to process these things, they actually inherently are much more capable of being logical than even we are. Because our logic is inherently flawed by years and years and years of conditioning. Whereas their ability to access their logic without so much flaw is so much more um, uh, reliable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does for sure. And it, it makes me, um, yeah, it makes me really excited for like just these expansive possibilities for our kids to see beauty in ways that like I growing up, saw, I mean, I didn't look at a lot of magazines, but I knew that there was a standard of beauty that I was not living up to. And that was kind of the only standard. And it makes me really, really just ecstatic to think that 
kids have the diff the definitions have broadened um, and we still have so much work to do but have broadened in a way that will liberate them also and will just kind of take us out of the this cage of like a single standard and a, a single way of looking of being of doing um that turns out wasn't serving any of us yeah for a long time not only was it not serving but it was damaging yes and it was taking a lot of us, it was causing a lot of us to, um, to choose to stay small. It was making a lot of us feel unworthy of taking up space. It was making a lot of us feel as though we didn't get to play ball. Right? Yeah. And I think if for the first time, I mean, this was like maybe two weeks ago, um, I was in Target by myself, which is a rare occasion. Um, and I said, I'm going to look for a swimsuit. And it was the first time in my whole life that I was not looking for a swimsuit that would cover up as much of my body as possible. Like it was the first time that I said, I know that at this point in my life, I am bigger than I've ever been. Like I just am. That's how, that's what my body is doing. That's what it wants to do. I'm taking care of it. I've actually even gone to the gym pretty consistently for almost nine months and eaten pretty healthy. And in that time have gained 15 pounds. And it's just, it is such a conscious decision to say, and that's fine. Like that is okay. And I'm actually not going to spend time like searching through these racks, looking for a swimsuit that will cover up the most of my body possible um, because I'm just tired of it, damn it. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here and for listening to today's show. Um, today's conversation with Ashley Hoyland. From the inception of this podcast, I have wanted to do an episode of this nature. Um, but given the vastness, given the the broad impact and the singularity within that broadness of each of our individual relationships with our physical bodies and um, the the depth and breadth of these conversations, I worried that I wouldn't be able to Um, speak to all of the different variables present in a conversation of this nature and that fear was warranted of course of course I cannot speak to every single experience and every single facet of um, of this relationship that we have with our physical selves but what I truly believe is that there is power in cumulative effort and this conversation here was one drop in the bucket of our shared experience. And hopefully it has inspired you in some way. Hopefully it has made you feel a little less alone. Hopefully it has made you feel um, compelled to perhaps begin the work of reframing and healing in whatever areas of your life you may need, whether it is with your body or some other space in your psyche or in your physical world. We are with you. We are all in this together. Thank you again so very much for listening. I want to remind you that you can find Ashley's courses at mindtotell.com. That's mindtotell.com. You can use the code SHOWUP for $25 off. All of this will be linked, of course, in the show notes from today's episode, letsshowup.com. There you will also find all of the different ways for you to connect with Ashley. As always, I love you. 
I believe in you. I see you out there doing your very best. And I want you to always remember that your very best is always enough. Make it a great week. This poem is called Thank You Letter. Teaching missionary lessons, I put my hand in a glove and wiggled my fingers. This is the body with the spirit. To explain death, I would take the glove off and move the hand into the air as if a spirit were rising to heaven while the limp glove stayed behind on the table. The spirit, somehow shoved into taut skin, hardly fitting, a restless, wise, curious light, and the body simply the dull keeper, not the thing to love. We closed the lesson, folded our arms to pray, walked two miles on a dirt road home, and stopped at the corner bakery for a pastry. The sun was so hot, I held bags of ice to my eyes. Once in that foreign country, I was so sick, I threw up every 15 minutes for a whole day. How is it I believed that my spirit would easily leave at death? Convinced to betray such loyalty without first kissing the soft skin on the inside of my arm, without running fingers along the skin of my thigh, without pressing my palms to the ocean of my stomach, without thanking my round hips profusely, one last hand cupped full of my own breast. Who's to say that when I die, my spirit won't fight like mad, coil like an angry snake, puff out big like a pufferfish, stick out quills, arch the back, insist that my body come with, my spirit reaching down, clawing the air, grasping all the way to heaven. Mm-hmm.